Hello and welcome to the Love Shared Podcast from the River Church in Redlands. David Carnes here with the latest from our Dialogue series, where we sit down with some fascinating guests and dive into conversations at the intersection of faith and society. Today's show is episode 23, a conversation about Christian education with Mark Whitfleet, the middle school principal at Redlands Christian Schools. Later in the show, we're also joined by George Dritzma, a longtime supporter of Christian education and previous board member at RCS. Thank you for joining us again, and if you'd like to continue to support us, subscribe to the podcast, rate and review it, and most important, spread the word and tell somebody else about the show. Reach out to me at david at com with feedback, questions, comments, and suggestions for future shows. And a special thanks, as always, to producers Terry Heemstra, Mark Leonard, and today's host, Nick Intout. Welcome to the Love Shared Podcast, where we explore just ways that God is uh, at work through the River community and in our uh, broader community, and we're really excited tonight. Um, we've, for years, been trying to get Mark Whitfleet to join us, and finally, the stars aligned, and we could get Wit here tonight. So thanks for being here with us uh, tonight, Mark Whitfleet. So... Uh, I want to kick it off with some real serious uh, dialogue here about sports. Um, we are going to talk tonight about Christian education and why that matters to you and um, this community. But first, a real big sports qu- question that a lot of people wonder when they think about you um, is, Are you, uh, if you had the Lions and Wolverines and Tigers lined up next to each other, who's your team? Um, which one is kind of like above the rest? That's it. If you lined those three up, I would ask who's playing today. Mm. I don't. I don't think I have one over the other. Although Michigan's pretty. Uh, I would want Michigan to win. Okay, so you have some students that are Ohio State fans. I do. And uh, recently there was lots. Of, what kind of dialogue goes back and forth with you and your students about a Michigan Ohio State game? I think the Monday afterwards, I had three kids come find me at seven forty-five. And just to talk about the game with big smiles on their faces. You're the, you're probably the kind of principal, and Mark Whitfleet, sorry I didn't give a great intro, you're the principal at Redlands Christian Schools in middle school um, and have been for how many years? This is my 20th year at the school, but I think 13th year in administration. And you're the kind of principal I think that middle schoolers um, would, if your team lost, like to let you know. You have a really, really playful relationship with students and one that I know they um, probably like to just let you have it a little bit. Is that part of like uh, your, how you see your role there? I think it's, a, it's all about teaching and learning. And I think some of these kids, uh, they don't know what team to root for. And uh, they're kind of messed up. So I had to kind of work with the Hawkeye fans. I had to work with the Buckeye fans. And we're not there yet. And, and the Laker fans. Yeah, they're, that's a whole different breed. Dodger fans, I mean, all of those are, are bad. So, Well, I appreciate, as a Lions and a Tigers fan, I appreciate the work you're doing, the good work you're doing there. Yeah, I, I've tried. You know, the Lions, uh, I didn't admit to it for quite a few years. So this is really the first year I've been talking about the Lions. The first 19 were a little rough. Hey, Witt, so 20 years ago, uh, you came to Redlands Christian School as a math teacher, right? Correct. Why did you become a educator? What was uh, tell us a little bit about your path into education 
and how you got into into uh, your role there. So when I think back to my time in school, um, I really didn't enjoy middle school. I didn't enjoy, high school was fun um, for me, but not necessarily for the reasons that it should be. It wasn't about learning for me. Um, sports, really? Sports played a big part <laughs> in that. Um, for me, and as I look back, sports had a pretty big role. Played basketball, played golf, or tried to play golf in high school. Um, that only worked well until they you needed to perform at a certain level. And then that was the end of my golf career, competitive golf career. Uh, but I look back, and I think that probably shaped why I wanted to go into education. It wasn't really teaching, it wasn't necessarily a love of math, it was because I wanted to coach. And um, one thing led to another. I started coaching my sophomore year at Calvin. I coached the eighth grade boys at Sylvan. Christian uh, might have coached against you back in the day. Did you know that I actually went to Sylvan through third grade? I did not know that. Wow. Coached at Sylvan. I had a group of eighth grade boys that I had a lot of fun with and then I coached there for a couple of years and the way to coach um, it, the best way to coach I thought was also to teach and so I became an education major <laughs> uh, and then my senior year at Calvin there were two guys who came to Calvin College to uh, to interview for teaching for, for teaching uh, candidates so Russell DeCock and Tim Vinzolan made their way to Calvin, and I signed up for a practice interview. For me, it was a practice interview. They were the first ones there, uh, so I did the. I participated in the interview. They interviewed a bunch of people, offered the job to some other people, some other person who eventually turned it down. Uh, so, uh, in many ways, Russ reminds me uh, once in a while that I wasn't his first pick. <laughs> but but uh, one thing led to another, and so Laura and I came out here for a couple of years. I think when I first started teaching, uh, there was still kind of the coaching I, that that interested me. But uh, the longer I taught, the more um, I liked teaching, and I wasn't sure if I was going to go to middle school, go to high school. Uh, when I started, but I, I kind of fell in love with the middle school age bracket. Uh, they're coming in um, with their minds all over the place. It could be on Legos, or it could be on, uh, you know, they act like second graders someday, and, and 11th graders the next, or next hour, uh, not even next day. And so, uh, Taught for seven years, and I remember very clearly at a Christmas party in my sixth year of teaching, my uncle said, do you have any desire to go into administration? And I said, absolutely not. I have no desire to do that. I like what I'm doing. A month later, Russ said, I'm leaving. I'm going to uh, Arrowhead Christian Academy. You should think about taking my spot. And about two months later, I fill in his role as an assistant administrator at Women's Christian so it's not like I had these dreams and desires as a kid of being, oh, I can't wait to be a principal someday. Um, I, I dreaded the principal's office. Um, couldn't stand it. Um, unfortunately, like some of the other people in this room, um, I found it once in a while. So, uh, and, and that's where we've been. I think when we first moved out here, the dream was to be here for a couple of years and then maybe move back. But there's been fresh challenges, the merger, the building of a building, being a part, being instrumental in that, um, 
falling in love with the community that we're a part of. So that's kind of kept me here. I've not been one to be a big dreamer about this is where I want to be or this is what I would like to do in three years or five years. And it's just kind of been the path that, that God has led me on. You just kind of took the next step. When it was I did. There. And there's always been a challenge or a, a new challenge. And would, did you grow up in a family where education was important or um, a family of educators? Or say a little bit about, about your family and how that has kind of shaped how you see your role. I would say that I grew up, uh, my mom is a was a Christian school teacher. Uh, my dad is a pastor in the Christian Reformed Church, so and education was extremely important. Um, I didn't always appreciate that necessarily growing up, but it was it was it definitely shaped me and molded me. Uh, the importance of reading, the importance of doing well. Um, school was a big deal. Yeah. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the choices that you made. I mean, you kind of said you, you took the step, the next one that was in front of you with the, the practice interview with Russ and Tim. And it's pretty intense. Was it? Yeah, I, I totally buy that. Um, so you're a big proponent, and part of our dialogue tonight is um, learning about you and how you ended up where you are, uh, but also learning from you about your passion for um, Christian education. And um, it, that's obviously something that's grown for you in the Absolutely. last 5, 10, 15, 20 years. Uh, say a little bit about where that, that passion has come from, what, what you're seeing that um, makes you such a big uh, advocate and proponent of Christian education. I think on that one, there's... Uh... As I get older, I realize the importance that Christian education played on my life. Mm. Uh, but there's probably three big reasons um, that I have even grown a bigger proponent of Christian education. And those are Jacob, Sarah, and Allie, mm. um, your own kids, and your desire for them to, to be taught truth, your desire for them to reach their potential um, for people to minister to them each and every day. It's their, it's their calling and their ministry is, um, I think that's really been a big deal for me. I think uh, watching kids come in to, every day, you realize that they, they need truth. Uh, they need to know that God is the creator. And God is the sustainer of this earth. And to do that in each of the classes that they're a part of, is a huge, huge deal. Um, I think I, I didn't quite appreciate that growing up. The longer I've been in education, I would say that's become more important to me. But Jacob, Sarah, and I would drive that home. Um, we heard a stat, and I know this is probably where um, you probably discussed this in your grad school. But <laughs> we saw we heard a, a speaker a month ago who wrote the book Sticky Faith. Her name's Carol Powell. In that book, it talks about how 40 to 50 percent of high of students who graduate from a church youth group walk away from their faith um, during during their college years. 40 to 50 percent. I mean, I do play with numbers a little bit. I do like numbers a little bit. But I have three kids. Yeah. You have four kids. 50 percent. That hit home. Yeah. Um, 
how do how can we make sure that that doesn't happen? And you want to do everything you can to uh, to teach them that truth yeah. so that they don't walk away. What do you think? As just in your twenty years, and you and I grew up in similar settings in you know West Michigan, where we had um, we both grew up in a Christian home. Uh, we both probably pretty involved with our church at, at one level or another. Um, we both went to Christian school, and we were kind of like immersed in this culture, right? That uh, that was like I didn't know anybody well my age that wasn't in that stream. It, well, that wasn't a Christian. Um, what are you seeing with the students that are part of Redlands Christian Schools now? What kind of places are they are they coming from? Is it the same as kind of what you and I grew up in in West Michigan, or are they coming from different contexts? I think probably a different context, some similar, um, but I think when I look back, kids are involved in more activities, so they're exposed to a lot of different families. We have, I think, Raylene Street used to tell the story, and, and George might be able to vouch for this, that you could figure out uh, your kindergarten enrollment if you went back in the church log and looked at baptisms on a given year. Um, you could judge an enrollment based on the, the nursery um, as kids came up. You know, because I, the kids were all coming from predominantly from the Christian Christian Church. Church. I think today, when I look at the number of different churches represented, um, we're over a hundred different churches that are represented at Redlands Christian School. That's In a huge difference. Just the middle school? I, at the middle school, would be less. than hundred is for the system. Okay, over hundred for the system. How many students at Redlands Christian Schools? So over nine hundred and fifty students, K through twelve, two hundred at the middle school. And a hundred churches, over a hundred churches, over a hundred. Wow. What um, what churches like? What's what's the largest number of students? I don't. You don't have to say the church if you don't want. But is it like twenty or fifty from one particular church? Or I think what the was your greatest guess? would be eight percent. I think is the the largest number from one. 8% of the Redlands Christian population comes from one church. Which is hugely different than the... Yeah. I think what's different is where I grew up, it was six different Christian Reformed churches in town that all sent their kids. Um, now it's it's great. it's a broader community. It's not just one denomination. It's, it's coming from Catholic and absolutely re Reformed and Charismatic and everybody. Correct. So what are some of the, this is maybe not a question you're thinking, but what are some of the gifts of having a Christian community that's so diverse? Like what are some of the things that you experience with parents and maybe even some of your staff or students or coaches or, or just differences that you would say, this has been kind of a gift to be a part of a community that's more ecumenical? Yeah, I think seeing the church as a broader broader base, broader community than just one denomination. I think there's value in that. I think you can learn from each other. <clears throat> Sometimes the dialogue, that dialogue is important. Um, and I think especially as kids get older, again, they can learn from each other. Um, and they do in different, and you watch a Bible class and they talk about um, 
their home, their their uh, their church community. It, we can we can learn from each other. What are some of the challenges that you think are um, or that you're experiencing uh, right now as a as a Christian school community? What are some of the the bigger things that you guys are, are wrestling with right now? I think, um, well, as a Christian school community, you're always, you always want to serve as many students and as many <laughs> families as you can. Um, you want to have that influence. I think back, if I, if I go back in time, um, and I, I remember the story about Laura's grandmother, who they had three jars for money on their table um, or on their kitchen counter, and it was for the church, for food, and for Christian education. Um, those were the three things that were most important to them. Uh, we're not there right now with, there's so many things and so many, so many things that, that, um, that commitment to Christian education is, is not always where it, where it could be. Uh, we live in a generation of iPads, iPods, iPhones, i this, i that. Um, so that whole set of materialism, the idea of uh, it's all about me, um, I think that can, that can be an impact. The, the culture, it's hard. I, and I think it was hard a long time ago. Like back when my grandma was born, she's 102. Um, I think it was hard for her. I think it's hard for us. But we just have to navigate those changes. Do you think the value has changed? Like people used to, do you think there there was a greater value um, on Christian education? I do. I, I think that at least in some circles, we I'm, I know that it's a sacrifice. I know that people work hard um, to make that a priority. I don't know if as many people make that a priority. What is the tuition for a student, let's say a middle school student at Redlands Christian School? Um, just It's around $8,500. And I know you guys do a really, work really, really hard at raising a lot of support. What percent of your students get some form of financial aid with it? I believe it's 45% of our family, or of our students get financial aid. So. Oh, almost one, one out of two kids is getting help. Where does that help come from? Like, who's who's helping students get to Redlands Christian Schools? I think that's what's special about the Redlands community. Um, there's been fundraisers for primarily for that tuition assistance for years and years and years, and I, so that's that's where it really comes from. You see a community event like the Holland Festival where people have been there for 60-some years donating so that um, if there's a need, there's, there's, um, there is resources to, to make your kids uh, be a part of that. What are some of your favorite stories, um, like right now, in, in that when you get together with some of the, the principals and the head of school and, or other teachers, um, what are some stories that right now you guys, or maybe you personally, are just kind of like encouraged by and, and kind of look at and go, um, this is this is a this is a beautiful picture of you know 
why we're doing what we're doing? I think the best stories from, well, I guess the best stories for me would be the, either the alumni that come back um, and they appreciate the relationship that you've had with them or the impact that Reverend's Christian has had on them. I think those, so those stories, um, and they can be random where some kid just says, hey, I want to check out the new building and they happen to swing by or um, people who want to say, stop by and say goodbye before they go away um, to a job or to college or whatever the case may be. I think it's the text message that you might get from somebody who says, um, you know, I'm moving here, I'm going there, I have a football game today, I have a baseball game I'm pitching in, like those, those relationships. I think, um, I think the story that if I'm with principals that I tell the most is just about what a pretty impressive community we're a part of um, when there's a need and people step up and help. Um, and, and I didn't realize, I don't remember that as a kid, um, as a student, but I do know that seeing it as a teacher, it was there, but in my role now, it's, it's pretty incredible how the community rallies around. You've talked about, um, I mean, I've heard you say that when you think about like real generosity and, and deacon work and you have a perspective as a principal, you, you see people do kind of things in secret for families and for students that are just really inspiring. And um, can you share one of those stories? Well, I actually, when I, when I became a deacon here a long time ago, I thought maybe the best example of a deacon was Ray Enstra because he would have um, different people he would call or help in different ways of people who couldn't cover a tuition on one month but, um, or they were going through a tough time or needed their car fixed or uh, he did a lot of that behind the scenes stuff. but. That's been going on here for a long, long time. And, and I think Claire Fick even has a story about how groceries just showed up at the house and doesn't necessarily know where they came from. Um, tuition was just, it was paid for. It was just taken care of and she doesn't really even know where all of that came from. So I think that's been embedded in this community ever since the beginning. And that I think is really cool. Um, more recently, we had a student who, uh, an eighth grade student and an 11th grade student whose mom passed away. And uh, this was right after Thanksgiving. And I got an email from a student uh, who said, I really want this eighth grader to go to Washington, DC. And the email came from her mom who said that she was willing to give up her Christmas gifts in order to uh, make sure that this kid goes to Washington, DC. Those are the stories that are, it's just really cool. Yeah. Um, and that's the, the things that you get to see. Yeah. It's beautiful. Um, say something about the three-legged stool analogy. <laughs> I've, uh, I, I literally heard somebody on some other podcast, or it was on the radio, I don't know where it was. They said something about how that would be like sitting on a three-legged stool. And I chuckled and I thought, well, you know, tell me, tell me about that, the history of it. And cause it's kind of like, is it an old milking, like cow milking thing or 
Where, where does that come from? What, or maybe I, George would say something. I don't have an answer on the history of the three-legged stool. The history stool. of the three-legged <laughs> stool. May I just add, a three-legged stool is always steady. It doesn't tip. You take a four-legged stool, and if the ground is down on level, it will do this. The three-legged stool is always steady when you put it down, maybe at an angle, but it's always steady. It doesn't rock. And I think that, and so when they put it together this way as church, church owns the school, yeah. it, it, it just uh, adds that up, says, this is solid. This is the rock that we stand on. And I think that's really where it came from. I know my son is a quite a big proponent of the three-legged stool. I remember he had one in front when he spoke at graduation about the three-legged stool. And uh, so I, that that is where I get that back from there because yeah, I was a cow milker. We had a one-legged stool. <laughs> and it, it, it is not real steady because you could tip over backwards, et cetera. But this is solid. Mm. And so I think that's really where that analogy comes from in the, uh, from way back when, because of the fact is that when you take those three basic tenets of what you believe in, uh, it, it, it's rock solid. And then to add to that, if one of those three legs, the church or the home or the school, isn't there, then your foundation, it's, it's unstable. Mm -hmm. um, and so you need all three working together. And uh, so that, that's been used for a long time, but the, the church, home, and school all working together, uh, shooting at the same target I've also had so that, that students, as they go through the formative years, know um, and are taught uh, from, a, from that perspective of all three working together. Um, it, it doesn't work well. It's not stable if you only have two or one. Unless George, unless you're like George, who's very talented. <laughs> yeah. Apparently, he could milk on one. So I'd like to see that actually. If we got you a one, you're strapped to you, and it was strapped to you, and it hung behind you. And so as you sat down, it you had the one peg to stand on. Hopefully, hopefully it was there when you leaned back. You do enough; it's there. <laughs> so uh, that's I. Again, I grew up in that community. I've always thought the three-legged stool analogy, I shouldn't say always thought, but I feel like it's missing a leg. And I guess that leg for me, and what I've wondered is, well, I don't sit in any three-legged stools. I always sit on four-legged stools. I've always wondered where's the, I know you have thoughts on this, uh, but the where's the engagement with, the world or you know I think we both grew up I, I felt like I grew up in a culture and I'm thankful for it at this point in my life I feel like it's prepared me to with a clear identity of who I was you know and now that I'm outside of that I can kind of see oh this is this is where I came from I came from a very had a strong denominational and Christian identity and now I'm, I'm able to engage in the world and so in your perspective I guess as, a, as an educator and as somebody who's a proponent of that three-legged stool model would you say that that engagement comes kind of like later in life or that there's um, or what do you think about a fourth leg could I sell you on a fourth leg I think that uh, 
that would be a, a struggle for me. <laughs> uh, I think when I think about education and the faith formation um, for our kids, and I think about putting them in what some people call the real world, mm-hmm. um, we're teaching them. And so some people think that the real world is outside of the church and mm-hmm. outside of the, the Christian school. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I saw recently somebody who um, really got me to think about that with, that that's not reality for, for me. Right. And I talked about this with, with Laura a little bit. But our real world is that um, God's word is truth. Mm. And our real world is that um, we believe that, that Jesus came, died, rose again. Yeah. Um, we want to teach that reality and those real world experiences or have that real world. Um, we want to have that dialogue with our kids. Yeah. And so when it comes to education and teaching them, mm-hmm. um, we want them to understand that that's important. I mean, that's really what we believe. Yeah. Um, so I sometimes I struggle when 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 people say they don't want Christian education because they want to experience the real world. Yeah. Um, what does that even mean, right? What the right, real because world. the real world to me is and it needs to be embedded again. It's their faith formation, their formative years. We want to educate them knowing that truth yeah it's interesting i i think there were times in my life where i felt that that desire to be a part of the real world and um i think what you know it's it's an overreaction or it's a reaction to so this flows out of our tradition and i know was a, a part of the the Dutch immigrant church that came here, there was a phrase that said, in isolation is our strength. So in the 30s, uh, the, the Christian Reformed Church in this, re- this area had that as a phrase, in isolation is our strength. And so the idea was almost kind of like, a, um, you know, we're setting ourselves apart from the world as a distinct community like the, um, the Pennsylvania Dutch Amish community, right? We're going to set ourselves apart and be our own community. That is, and then our, that's going to be a witness to the world, which is a model for, um, you know, community transformation, I think. Uh, and, but that idea of in isolation is our strength was part of what motivated some of that, that almost closeness, um, and I think part of what we hear when we hear things like the real, you know, I want to be a part of the real world is comes out of that. It's a reaction to people who experienced uh, what they perceive to be, you know, a um, isolationist feeling or an isolationist perspective. What do you, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I would say that obviously our world is very different than it was in, in 1930, but I look at all of the different places that our kids are involved in. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, they're a part of the community at many different levels. I wouldn't say that we're, um, we're in isolation. I do think we have to educate our kids, and sometimes we don't, we don't take that job of, of developing their faith 
their faith formation as seriously as we should. Um, we just go through and say, you're, you're going to be like everyone else, or you're going to... Um, I just don't think we necessarily take that as seriously as we should. Mm-hmm. And again, that, that education is a big part of that. How do you think? How do you think critically? How do you think from a Christian perspective? Mm-hmm. Uh, if you don't teach that, how are they going to, how are students going to learn that? Yeah. And if you didn't have that, when would you have learned that? Right. If I didn't have that in school. Correct. Or, yeah. I mean, my church was, um, I would say, a strong church, is a strong church. Um, as a teenager, we, I had a youth group. That is, and as somebody who's, you know, led youth ministry, I'll tell you, that is not the time or place. Because <laughs> if you can get the student to show up four weeks in a row, you there's some miracle, yeah. right? Um, so that is not the way to educate. I would say, for me personally, now as a parent, what I see in my kids is that um, because I do have maybe a little more flexibility uh, in terms of just being able to participate in some of my kids' activities, than I would if, let's say, I worked, you know, an hour or so away and, and wasn't home till 7 p.m. Um, so I I would say the home of those three right now, one of the things we've been talking about with our children's and youth staff is we have to reemphasize this kind of biblical reality that faith starts in the home. It's not the job of the Christian school to do it alone, one-legged stool. It's not the job of the church community to do it alone, you know, another leg. It's, it's got to start with, with mom and dad. And you know that from that, that thing that you went to um, a couple weeks ago, that the number one influencer of kids' faith, uh, the, the number one uh, adult influence is their, is their parents. Yeah, I think the other thing, though, that I heard her say, and this really got me to think a little bit about, about that, is that oftentimes we think that we need a group of of you can mentor a group of students. Mm-hmm. So you have, and when you led high school, you had small groups. Right. And oftentimes you need five, um, you, the target number is five or six. Yeah, right? in a group. Yeah, in yeah. a group. Yeah. And she really challenged us to think that that's the wrong way to think. Yeah. And you need five or six people to invest in each student's life. Mm-hmm. So it's not, yes, I totally agree with you. It starts at the home. Yeah. But it can't, I don't think it can just be the home. Yeah. And that's where the three-legged stool comes from. Uh, And that's why I think those, and I look back on my life, yes, there are youth group leaders that played a huge part in that. Right. Um, There were teachers and coaches that played a huge part in that. And so I think having those five or six people, um, we, we as teachers kind of brainstormed a little bit of who are those five or six people for some of the students that we have. Mm. Um, it's important that they have those relationships. And so go back to the three-legged stool. Some of those five or six people come from church. Mm-hmm. Some come from home, uh, obviously come from home and, and school can play a part in that too. Yeah. No, I, I agree with you that I think um, that can be a, a incredible place of impact and surrounding students, immersing them in, um, you know, what it means to, to live with God. Um, as you think about kind of the future 
Christian education and the relationships that you're <laughs> cultivating with local churches, um, even the, the relationships that you have with the river. And, you know, you obviously have a lot of teachers and staff that are part of the river at Redlands Christian Schools. Maybe not as many board members anymore. There's a few. A couple of board members still, but um, as you think about those relationships and, um, you know, those bridges that are, are kind of being built into that, those communities, what are some things that you want to say to local churches about um, the, the work that Redlands Christian School, the vision that you have for um, formation and faith formation of our, our young people? I would say that we, the message really is that our goal, um, our mission is to partner with churches and homes. Um, as we have more and more churches, that, that became, became, it does become challenging. Uh, but we want to invest in, in as many students' lives as possible. Um, we would love for there to be an act, another section of sixth graders, another section of seventh graders, because we can we can shape and mold and work with with the home and the and the churches to uh, to help educate kids. Um, that's our goal. Our goal really is to to have kids learn as much as they can. You know, the school is not a church. Our job is not to do the same thing that a church is. Our job we are a school. We're there to educate. Um, but we can educate. Our goal is to educate um, in all areas, and that includes their spiritual um, faith formation as well. I um, have, you and I have done a lot of stuff together in the last however many years, 10, 12, however many, I don't know, 12 maybe. Um, you even let me teach a class, which I... A couple. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what you were thinking. But um, I have always appreciated your steadiness and your thoughtfulness and your really just, you're, you're a deep thinker, but you're also incredibly uh, like relational with middle schoolers. And um, even as I think about, you know, in five years when I have middle schoolers, uh, I hope you're still in Redlands. I hope you're still around here. And, you know, no pressure, but uh, we, we really are thankful we've for been, you. We've been dealing with family pressure for a while. So. <laughs> yeah. yeah, all of us Californians have for our Michigan friends and family. But we really uh, just love you and your family and appreciate the work that you do and the voice that you are in, um, in this. And, again, like you said, it's something we have grown from personally and benefited from other people's investments in us. And um, we're just really thankful for you. So thanks for, for everything you're doing. Um, last question. Uh, if you could change RCS's mascot from, what is it? A it's oh, no, an eagle. it's an eagle. It's an eagle. So I know you probably, I don't know if you're allowed to really talk about what your dream would be for the, the perfect mascot. But what would you what would you choose if you could choose anything? Honestly, I would probably just keep it as is. Uh, I think, and I heard a story not a, a while back that Redlands Christian used to be the Raiders, and I don't know if that was what? true. Uh, not to my knowledge, I can't. <laughs> I can't and then who needs to be? And then um, 
and then Cougars and then Eagles. I think uh, we're, we're, we're pretty good. You're good with the Eagle? Yeah. One, one thing to add. Yeah. Can I add one thing? Yeah. Um, it's interesting. You can add many things. All right. Well, I'm going to add one thing. Maybe two. I always say one last thing, and there's five or more. Yeah. I think I get that from my dad. But, uh, <laughs> the preacher. <laughs> but, I, but one of the things that is, it really is incredible is when you sit in the back, back of church, mm. and you look out over on a Sunday morning, and you look out over who's at, over at the crowd, how many people have given time and talent and treasure to Redlands Christian School? Mm. Uh, it's really, it's pretty humbling when you sit and think, oh yeah, I heard, I heard a story of he was a board member, and this person's been to 60-some Holland festivals, and this one, like you just kind of look in the back, and you look around, and it's pretty incredible um, to see the impact of people in this church on Redlands Christian. Uh, I remember the story told to me that in 1921, when the school really started out of this church, um, there was an offer made by the public school to, to have Bible class at the end of the day. And they could, they could tack on a Bible class, and that way the kids could stay at the public school. Uh, they would fulfill their Bible re, uh, requirement. But that wasn't good enough to the people here um, because they wanted that Christian perspective, not just one added on Bible class. That Christian perspective taught in history and science and math. Um, and I think of that a, a little bit. And when you stand in the back of the church, the next time you're standing back there and you look at, uh, at all of the people who have committed to uh, uh, their time, it's, it's pretty impressive and, and, and pretty humbling when you think of the ministry that, that Redlands Christian has been since 1921. So you asked, you had one comment. I'm going to add a comment, too. You always like the last word. No, I, I would actually like to ask you a question. Um, so, sorry. What, and this, uh, our, our tradition goes way back with uh, the Reformed Church, right? Mm -hmm. And there was disagreements however many years ago. That was 150? Uh, about how to best form faith communities, right? And form faith in the next generation and engage in our community. And I think on the one hand, you had this wave of people who said, in isolation is our strength. And then on the other hand, you had people who said, we need to kind of integrate into the culture and, and be, and I'm going to use this to even set up your argument, because you and I have talked about this before, but even to be salt and light in, let's say, the public school. Mm -hmm. Um, what about the argument or the, not argument, but what about the idea that pulling all of those families and kids out of public education, um, is a, you know, and, and, and the, the people who have means to attend Christian school, um, and participate in that life are often going to be probably, you know, more on the higher socioeconomic scale, um, higher education, parents with higher, or at least, uh, you know, advanced degrees or degrees, college degrees. 
Um, what about that argument that when you pull all those people out, isn't it, isn't it another form of just kind of segregation? What do you say to those people who might say like, hey, you know, you're, you're, just, you're just distinguishing yourself um, and pulling yourself out of the public education, which is actually really hurting the rest of the community because you've got all these great families and, and really passionate Christian people who are kind of like withdrawing from the public, the pu this public thing that people do, which is educate their kids. What do you say to that? I would say that what's your goal? Um, and when I send a Jacob, Sarah, and Allie to school, my goal is that they learn. Um, and they can learn not just for now, but like for for the rest of their lives. Sometimes we put people, kids in particular, in positions they may not be ready for. Mm. Um, so we're expecting um, sometimes our young kids to do things that we're not prepared to do or feel comfortable doing. Um, it's, it's an education, um, and that's what we need to shape and mold. Uh, there are kids who are leaders and followers, but it's still an education. And sometimes we put uh, that pressure on them at a pretty young age um, when we use that argument. I've also heard that argument used when that's not the reality of why um, some people choose not to, to send their kids to a Christian school. I, can, I still think when I look at it, and, and George talked about this, the stable stool, the foundation, it's the three legs. It's the church, the home, and the school. And we need to educate our kids to give them the tools that they need to think critically. Um, we need to do that. We need to teach our kids. So for you, the the, and I, I'm doing, basing this on a conversation you and I had years ago. You remember that? I do. I, we were in your office. I remember talking about just the idea of of salt and light and. Um, you see Christian education much more as, hey, we're investing in them now and giving them a foundation so that they can have tools in the future to be salt and light. And I think about my own life and my own personality and you know where my faith, how important my faith is to me and probably say, if I didn't have those investments then and see it reinforced in my home and my grandparents and you know, my extended family and my teachers, and my professors in college, and I probably wouldn't be as, you know, excited, passionate. Uh, I don't know. Maybe I would, but I'm definitely thankful for those investments. So you see it as an investment that we're making in their mind and the shaping of their heart now, right? And I think there's experiences that they have now. Yeah. Um, but it's a journey. It's a journey that, that all of our kids are on, and um, to expect them to have all of the answers now, um, when we don't have all of the answers, George, I don't know, George, do you have all the answers? George is about as close no, to having. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think, you know, we, um, we need to be able to ask those questions for people to think about. Um, from a Christian perspective, if we don't give them that opportunity to ask their questions in a venue where we can help shape and, and mold them. Um, yeah, I think that's important. Yeah, you're done. You know, I just like to make a 
couple of comments that you should. Uh, you know, I was raised in a phenomenal Christian home. Mm. My father was probably what I consider one of the greatest Christians I've ever known. But I never was I could avail myself of a Christian education until I attended Calvin for two years. Now, of all the educational experiences that I had over the years, that is the only one that resonates with me today. Mm. I have no relationships with any of the other ones that I've ever attended, uh, but I do have relationships with people I've had or knew at Calvin College. And just to go back, if you want to go back a number of years, I was raised in the public schools and et cetera. But I look at my children, who I sent through Christian education, they went through that. They did attend Yucaipa High School for three years because there was not a high school available. But how much over, more overt they are in their Christian walk than I ever was growing in the, at the same age level mm. and, and coming up. And to me, I want to attribute that to the education they received at, at like RCS and then later on at Calvin. They, they are very uh, overt. And when you talk about salt and light in their own way, I think they have all been very good examples. And, uh, you know, we feel extremely blessed by the families that we, the family that we have. Yeah. But I guess, you know, and I served 19 years at, at ACA on the, on the board over there. And I think one of my goals was when I started there was just the fact is that I wanted to see a merger that was one that sort of one in the back of my mind to see this happen. But also the fact is that, uh, as he mentioned, there was a hundred different schools involved or churches involved in, in ACA. Yeah. And uh, my challenge to every one of them that I served on the board with was go back. Your church needs to have a bigger involvement with Christian education than what you do because you came there. We were the only school, only church in there that actually helped support our students in Christian education. I think today here it's still the largest organizational. I mean, the, it, it's the it biggest. Is. It's the biggest gift it is. that I, the I don't river. Know any other church that does that? There's maybe one more. Yeah, okay, and so you know, my my challenge to guys sitting on the board was, you know, I mean, we're we're struggling financially. Let's go back appeal to these kind of individuals. I look at you, you go there and you go to the Holland Festival and you see who is sitting at the Holland Festival. Who's the ones bidding at the Holland Festival? I mean, there's always some that come. But there's none that... You are. <laughs> it's, isn't it just yeah, yeah, you? But, but, you know, not, not just that, but, but you come there. And that commitment from that, I mean, I, you know, I, I turn 80 in a couple of weeks. My commitment to edu Christian education will stay with me till the day I die. I don't come in, I don't use, and you know, this is what we were having at Arrowhead. You come in, you use it for four years, and you're gone, we never see you again. This isn't the case with, with you know, and, and I go back to the, the Christian reform background Absolutely. that we have, that we just don't do this. I mean, we continue on. And, and to me, that's, uh, you know, a great heritage as far as I'm concerned. And so I'm a very strong, firm advocate of Christian education. Mm. And, and the respect is that it comes out in, in so many different subtle ways. And the fact is that, like I said, my children, as they grew up, they didn't stand on the, preach corner, on the street corner and preach. 
that they were very overt in what they believed in, and they stood up for what they believed in. I recall my oldest daughter, first one, had to go to public high school. She got there, and I think the first day she went to summer school. And the girl says, come on up, and, and uh, we're going to have a smoke up on the hill. Uh, she stood there and told them exactly what she <laughs> thought of all that, et cetera, et cetera. And I just said, oh, praise God. I was worried sick, you know, sending her off to, to that high school. And they were all uh, extremely well thought of at school, and they all knew where they stood. I can't say that when I was in high school. Mm -hmm. I can't say that at all. I, I mean, I got great examples, you know, because back in those days, you didn't go to a movie, you didn't dance, you didn't do any of these kind of things over there. I remember going to school when I was in high school. Some kid said to me, did you go to the movie over there, see this movie? It's really a great movie. That we don't go to movies. We don't go to movies, you know, as if I was just... A... So from then on, some kid would come up to me and say, did you see that movie? Oh, yeah, you know, I lied to my teeth just so I didn't look so different than anybody else. Yeah. You know, and, and to me, those, those are the subtle differences that we see when you get into Christian education. And, you know, and I will say this, my kids came out of RCS, and they were head and shoulders education-wise over the kids that went to the public school. And I, my kids had a, a speech teacher up there, Mr. Roper, you got to high school. He says, man, send me all those kids from RCS. He says, <laughs> they are head and shoulders above everybody else. And, you know, so I, I see all these things. I can, now I can reflect. Yeah. And so I can see all these things that happen and the benefits that in the end analysis that you're going to end up with by making the sacrifices. Mm. My wife, thank the Lord was able to drive three times a day when we had kids in kindergarten from Calabasa to here. I probably wore out two or three automobiles getting them through the, through the ninth grade back in those days. But the best investment I ever made, yeah. right there. Mm. I would say one thing to add to what you said about at the Holland Festival, that you see who's there and it's not just four years and you're done. Yeah. Um, I think for many people, that's the, when they, when they read that promise at baptism about being there for and being part of their kid's life, um, I think I think that's a promise that's taken very seriously, um, and that's the whole education um, CEF fund too that we have of people who who know that sometimes the hardest times to pay for Christian education are when you're young, you've got four kids and, and coming through, and that's what's so cool about the CEF fund is that it's people of all generations. Um, kicking in to to really help support that mm. yeah you know it, it, I, I don't know it just it, there's a commitment there that's just it, it, it's very difficult to to uh, sort of take someone who isn't from that atmosphere and etc and say well I'm going to continue to be here continue to be here continue so to be here. so let me ask you this because you do have a hundred different churches mm -hmm. um, whose history in relationship to Christian education is not what you're describing. I, I'm guessing, maybe in some instances it is. How do you, I mean, because I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm always trying to think of the, the future, right? Like, I, I like history, I'm interested in it, but only in how it's shaping like this thing that we're doing in the future. So how do you, I mean, you have as part of your mission, we partner with church and home. 
um, for Christ-centered education. Um, as you think forward to the next generation of families, iPad, iPod generation, uh, families who, and, and I have friends who both husband and wife work really long hours because they do have multiple kids who they're trying to get through Christian ed. And they also have these other things that growing up in kind of a more materialistic culture, we are like an expectation, right? A certain level of a vehicle and of home and of vacations that we want to spend or, or take. And so there's like the expectation of that lifestyle that I'm not sure they're willing to sacrifice. So it ends up being extra hours, extra jobs, and putting their family, I would say, in a situation that's, that's um, just under a lot of stress because they do have this commitment to, to Christian ed. But how do you train a, a next generation, a wave of parents like parents like you and me, to value that three-legged stool thing or to value those partnerships for life to be kind of lifelong when the when you know the local church, the hundred or so that you mentioned, they don't have that vision, they don't have that passion necessarily. Yeah. You know, because I think what you're driving at is, I think you have to sit back and, and really value the end result that, that you're going to end up with with your children when they get to that point. He's got three kids. He values them extremely high. He's willing to make the sacrifices necessary in order to give them the type of background, the type of footing that they need to stand on in order to, to face life and face it with the type of values that we find extremely important. And uh, we, don't, uh, we don't sell that short. And so I think you, you do, you, you get out and you do a lot of these, you do a lot of things. I mean, you know, I, I sat here and, and, and praise God for this Christian community. I mean, I lost my entire ranch when I had all these kids in Christian school. Thank you for those saints that were, to, were doing just like the CEF ones in those days there to be able to continue my kids in Christian education because, you know, I had zero income. All of a sudden, we're sitting down and facing realities, and, and about the only thing that uh, we could afford to do was, you know, go out back and the eggs that we stored under the tree was to, to have those three times a day. I mean, this is serious. Like, you know, you, you're in business one day, and 12 hours later, you're out of business. But this Christian community backed us all the way through this thing, and we were kept we were able to keep our kids in Christian education. And the end result is what you're looking for. And I think in order every lick of help that I could get to give uh, give my kids a good faith background, I would jump on with both feet. Mm. You know, you can say what you like about it, and your home is extremely, extremely important. But boy, let me tell you, if I got a good Sunday school teacher and if I got a good Christian school teacher that influences my children, amen, brother, because I'm, <laughs> I'm going to buy that 100%. Mm. Because, you know, I, I don't care how smart you are, you can always use a lot, a lot of help. And I think the older I get, the more, well, the humbling, it's humbling when you're dealing with your own kids versus, so it's way easier to deal with other people's kids. Um, but you want all the help you can get. And so when you're mm -hmm. talking to, to, to teach your kids, um, that's why that five to six 
to one ratio or five or six to one, yeah. you want to find those people who can come alongside and, and be that influence and to teach. Um, and sometimes, unfortunately, kids hear it differently uh, from somebody else other than mom and dad. And, you know, and I guess I was raised in a pretty strict background in a lot of respects. And I was, I was sort of a tyrant, I guess, with my kids when they were younger. My wife will vouch for that. Uh, when they came home with report cards, they used to line up at the table and I would check them all out. They all stood in front of me like this here, and which I'm not bragging about, but it was a fact of life. And so that they did. And, and I think my youngest, Mike, was a, was a great example. I think he was probably about third or fourth grade. And we were used to all straight A's at our house. He comes trotting in with his report card and has a couple of D's and, and, uh, and whatnot on there. And I looked at it and whatnot. And Mike was just a natural jock, right? And he was resting on his laurels. And so I gave him an ultimatum that uh, you either bring this up where it should be, because I think you can do it. And if you don't, you can just take, pitch all the jock stuff right out the window. And uh, man, Mike was a straight A student. <laughs> Mike, Mike went through Calvin with about a 3.9. Mike went through grad school at Michigan State with a 4-point average, you know. So, I mean, the challenges are out there, and I think part of that is, is our responsibility as well. And, you're gonna, and if you don't challenge your kids to go out here to do the best that they can do, uh, and then with the help of good teachers and good Christian influences on their lives, it just makes all the difference in the world. I to add to that, I okay, think I, that. I right. think you need to hear stories, yeah. and I think it's stories of Laura's grandma who had the three three jars, and that, that's how important it is. The story of George and his kids, and there's stories of of people um, who have gone through this. the The more the older I get as a parent, the more questions and help I think I want um, or need. I think. You know, I had a conversation with somebody yesterday who, when they didn't have kids, they said, man, when I have kids, uh, my kids will never do this. And then their, kid, <laughs> their kids were born, um, and then they were humbled. And so, uh, you know, you have that as a teacher, like, oh, I can't believe these kids aren't here at 8 o'clock. And then you have your own kids, and you're like, oh, 802 is not so bad. Yeah. Um, like it, <laughs> they have their clothes on. <laughs> you, you, it, you need, it, it takes a community. Yeah. Um, and, and. I think the Christian school is one way to help. Well, even in the public sector, what did they say? It takes a village to raise a child. Yeah. You know, and I mean, I think we have a very unique village. Yeah. And when we take advantage of that particular village, you gain more than just, you know, I, I think along with the salt and light you're talking about, you, you are that too. And, and just uh, something that always comes to mind was when I moved here and uh, I played basketball all over here. I was in every crazy city league there was, and this and the next thing. And so, talking in a conversation, I, I recall down here in Redlands, I was playing with some of these guys here that had been in Redlands for eons. And uh, I mentioned something about the church. And went, what church you go to? I said, I go to the first church over here. He said, oh, you guys, you really do go to church, don't you? And I, it sort of struck me. What do you mean? He said, well, a lot of guys say well, they belong to a church. But he said, they're never there. He says, you guys, when you say you go to church, you do go to church. Twice. Twice, every Sunday, you know? And so, you know, those are the kind of things we weren't overt, near like, uh, and I praise God for these young kids who's got, who have a great testimony. Mm 
I would like to say I had a great testimony as a kid. I had a lousy testimony as a kid. Mm. And uh, it's taken me, you know, 75 years to finally have somewhat of a testimony. Mm. And uh, for and so I just, any help we can give them to have that testimony come to the fore just speaks volumes to me. This podcast with George has been really <laughs> cut off. No, I think that's important. I'm really glad you guys were here, and Absolutely. if we could uh, do this, is why we do this—the dialogue, right—to talk about it. And I know, for me and my family, um, again, like I said, I'm always thinking end result. What's what's the vision? What's the what's the dream? Right? What's the dream of our kids in the future? And uh, I know for me it's really exciting. Uh, obviously, Julie's a part of the Spanish immersion program, right? Where we're saying, "Hey, the dream is to have kids who are culturally and uh, engaged, and they're citizens of the world. They're able to speak multiple languages and be fluent in different cultures, um, not just as you know, as kids, but as as Christian adults, as people whose faith is important to them." And who see even as a part of their faith the building of bridges to different people groups. Um, so I, to me, that's really exciting. And there, there's a there's vision there for, you know, what as a Christian community we're saying is important in the world right now. We need bridge builders. You know, we need people who um, are are making bigger tables, not higher walls. And um, you know, I I can't. It's hard for me personally to get behind a vision that says in isolation is our strength. Because what I read the Gospels, all I see is a God who's breaking down walls, breaking down barriers, and coming um, in in vulnerability and weakness to the world and saying, how can I serve you? Um, I'm here to love you sacrificially. And so I get excited about a vision of a Christian community who's saying, hey, we see the, the formation of faith in our students leading us to believe that building bridges with people of other cultures is part of the gospel. Like this is, the gospel is a barrier-breaking, boundary-breaking message of reconciliation among all people, um, not just among God and people, but among people and people. And so when we're training students with that message, I think that's the kind of visionary language that inspires me, and I think what we're going to need for the next generation um, is got to be a vision for Christian education that captures that, that says, listen, Christian education is a part of the formation of Christians that is good for the world. That's good for your family, but it's also good news for the world in what you're doing. It's a, it's a message and it's a movement that is ahead of um, the game ahead of and, you know I, I think you know when you, you mentioned about the strength is in isolation I think you have to remember the circumstances and the age in which that occurred yeah because you don't you don't see that today I right mean, I mean there's not people walking around saying that today I think you did that because all of a sudden you came out of a, a society that was was pretty much shall I say uh, I, I recall you, you talk Talk to Henry Stewartsman. Talk to a few of these guys that came out here, and they were real uh, pioneers yeah. in here. And you walk into a world that is totally alien. To yeah, foreign. And all of a sudden, it's foreign to you, and you come over here. And in order to uh, 
basically get your feet on the ground and do what you need to do, you do you you have to say okay here. And if you go anywhere, I, I think a real example for me was I was stationed in New York City for two years when I was in the service. You go up through New York, and you have the Italian section, you got the Irish section, you got all of these, and this is generation after generation after generation, and there's there's a uh, you have to have some comfort in life, and you've got to have something that's similar that you can react to, yeah. that that actually has a, a bonding effect for you, and makes your life somewhat livable, and, and 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 be something there that you can say, okay, now I, I know here's something that I can come back to that that I relate to. Yeah, a culture. A culture. Uh, I, I know and, and culture. So, I mean, you know, the, the culture was was probably a whole lot different than what we're looking at today. Yeah. I mean, now, now we have it here. You know, coming, ask Henry Sturson about coming across country on the back of an old pickup truck. You know? Yeah. I mean, now you're flying back and forth. Right, you but drive, what? You can drive here. My kid, my kids drive, drive back to Calvin in, in 40 hours. Yeah. It took me, you know, how much longer when I drove back and forth to Calvin. You know, we're in a different society. We're in a different world. We're in a different culture. And so I think that isolation was something that was sort of a... It's, it's somewhat a feel-good type of thing. Well, it's actually it's actually organizationally like a really important um, feature of any organization knows their core DNA, and they stick to that. They preserve that core of who they are. This is who we are. I mean, you look at any organization that's doing something good, they know who they are. They have a core DNA, right? So they preserve that. But then on, on the outskirt of it, there's also this level of, and we need to continue to stimulate progress and stimulate and, and be an organization that's learning kind of from our surrounding and our environment and also adapting to it. And I think what I see happening seems like a little bit, it, it's been a transition from, there's, so there's this merger, right? It's no longer just a Christian Reformed school, the Redlands Christian Schools. It's it's broadened to include lots of churches, a hundred of them. Um, it's preserving those some of those core characteristics of Christian education, um, but it's also having to change. And as that happens, I think a, a new culture seems like is emerging and has to emerge, and with that is the retelling of the story of what we're doing and why we're doing it and why it's important um, for the, for the future. Just, just a great example is hey, right here in Redlands. You can come over, you can see what, what Redlands Christian School, my kids first started there. It was pretty much just coming to Christian Reformed Church and etc. But also I was on the board at Redlands Christian School when the Protestant church decided that they wanted their own school and they walked in and uh, Ken DeWitt and I were the ones that had to go talk to them about uh, taking these kids out because it was going to be a pretty good blow they were going to take about 25-30 kids out and we had to look at this and look at it rather seriously what do we do because that was going to affect us financially for sure but they came in now now take a look at what Redlands Christian Schools is today and take and go down the street and take a look at their little school that they're operating over there. Now, you know, you, you're talking about isolationism. They, they have maintained that. I think I, I just, I, I see what's happened in our circles. Right. It's so much different. Right. 
And I see this that we become uh, a much broader spectrum. I mean, I, I got great friends that uh, don't necessarily go to church here. Yeah. You know, and I and I think, but they know where I stand. Not all of them believe like I believe, but you know, this is going to be the world that we live in. Well, and I I think the world needs people who know where they come from and who have some distinct perspective. I think there there was kind of like some Kool-Aid going around that said we all have to be, and I think one of the things that can wrongfully happen in public education, and I'm actually not, I obviously you guys know one of my, my oldest daughters in public education and my other daughter is in Christian education and another one is in a different Christian school. So I'm a big proponent of like, right now our family's trying to figure it out. What's the best thing for our family? Um, but, it's not by on straight yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and we're seeing beautiful things in different places. But one of the things that I think, one of the lies that exists in our culture, it says we all have to be the same. And if we're not the same, then we won't be able to get along. And if we can't get along, we're going to fight, and fight's bad. And I think that's really unfortunate because we need what we need is people who who have a real strong commitment to something. I don't need a Muslim to be less Muslim or Christian Reformed to be less Christian Reformed or Episcopalian to be less Episcopalian to have a good conversation or to have a real dialogue about who God is. What I need, what we need is people who understand their history, tradition, heritage, who get kind of where they've come from and contribute with that voice to the dialogue, not denigrating the other person or demonizing the other person, you know, necessarily. Yeah, I think what you need to remember is you're talking about this core DNA. DNA. Right. And I think that's essentially what they're doing is giving these kids that core DNA that they have to take with them as they step out of the educational system and get into the world. They take that core DNA, DNA with them that says, okay, here's who I am. Here's my values. Here's what I am. Here's what I do. Some will be very overt about it. Others will be very quiet. But they'll all make their measure on society and not necessarily... Uh, you know, not all preachers and not all teachers and not everything else. Yeah. There can be dummies like me that dig ditches and do these kind of things, but we all have to take that core DNA, DNA with us as we go out and do that. And to me, I can't find a better way to do it than through the Christian education along with the home and, and, you know, and the school and the church. And we, this is our, to me, this is my obligation. My obligation, I accepted this. When I, and, and one of the most beautiful things we have in this church right here is when we baptize a child and he turns around and says, will you support this child? And he asks the congregation if they will support this child to, you know, in, in regards and, and support the parents as they raise this child in a Christian atmosphere. And we all say, we will, God help me. Mm -hmm. I, that just raises goosebumps in my arms. Mm -hmm. you know? Or you I, said, I think the question too of, and you talked about developing that core DNA. And you were talking a little bit about it in organizations, but how do you how do you develop that in kids? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. if you don't have any discussions with them at mm -hmm. home, you know where do where do they learn that at church? Where do they learn that at school? Um, if you don't intentionally teach that, then then what will be the DNA? Mm -hmm. And so I know. You guys, I'm guessing George had catechism. He had Sunday school. He, had, he was at church twice. 
um, <laughs> twice on Sundays, but that was all part of what that core DNA came from. Um, you know, where that's a question that that we continually need to wrestle with. Yeah, well, I agree with you. I think even here at the river, it's a question we need to seriously look at um, is where does that DNA come from? And I think there are some really beautiful things about the Christian Reformed tradition and things that, um, you know, that it's okay if they maybe die away, but there's also things that I hope that get preserved in that, um, you know, in my daughter's, in my daughter's life. Um, yeah, you know, and, and when you when you start mentioning that, you know, I guess I always admire the, the Christian Reformed Church in the fact that they wrestle with these things. They just right. don't arbitrarily say, okay, uh, and the whole thing of gay marriage. I mean, sin has been wrestling with this blasted thing forever. Yeah. And they keep wrestling with it. They keep changing it a little bit and tweaking it here and there. But they wrestle with it. And, and they try to come up with, with, with a solution that says, okay, this is biblically correct. But there's also, you know, yeah, I, I guess that's what I admire about our church in respect is that we just don't arbitrarily accept this and go down the road. We wrestle with all of those changes that come about that aren't easy changes to accept. Right. And you stretch the imagination. So. Yeah. Well, yeah, no, thanks for coming, I said, George. I said all I'm going to say. <laughs> that's, what you, said, that's what you said a while. Julie, all you all did say that 15, 20 minutes ago. So. <laughs> hey, thanks for being here with George. Yeah. Thank you, guys.